reading this morning will be from 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 14 through 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations of their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. You may be seated. Well, it seems like I might have a missing clicker. You know, I think that over, you know, the last few Sundays, we've had some struggles with it working. Did, did, did somebody take it and throw it away? Something like that? Uh, it's good to be together. I may have to rely on you up top to advance the slide for me. I'll just, I'll tell you when to do it. Uh, so looking forward to this time of Bible study that we're able to have as we continue to walk throughout the life of King Hezekiah. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Kings 19. 2 Kings chapter 19, we're going to be studying the section of Scripture that was just read for us in verses 14 through 19. 2 Kings, the 19th chapter, looking at verses 14, we found it. Yeah, what is lost has been found. Thank you, Joel. Jeremy, well, thank you, Jeremy. That's right. That's an important play. Let's see if it works. There it is. How about that? One time there was a farmer who walked into his local bank and he announced to everyone in the bank, he was talking to his banker, but he announced it so loud, I have good news, I have bad news. Which one do you want first? The banker thought for just a second. He said, well, I guess, I guess we'll take the bad news first. Well, the farmer said, I'm not able to pay on my mortgage payments anymore. You know that crop loan I've taken out for the last 10 years, I'm not able to pay anymore on that either. And the couple hundred thousand dollars that I have outstanding for all the equipment that I bought for my farm, I'm not going to be able to pay any of that back. There was dead silence for a few moments. The banker didn't know what to say. It caught him off guard. Finally, when he picked up his jaw off the floor, he asked the farmer, what's the good news? You've given me a lot of, of bad news here. What, what's the good news in all of this? The farmer said, well, the good news is that I'm going to continue banking with you. I'm willing to bet that the banker did not view that as good news. You know, that, that, that might have been a good news, bad news situation for the farmer, but for the banker, I'm thinking that was a double dose of bad news. Bad news. Something we deal with all the time, isn't it? 
It's something that we deal with on a weekly basis, if not on a daily basis. If you had the chance to be with us last week, as we continued our sermon series through the life of Hezekiah, we began thinking about what we should do with bad news. We began thinking about how we should respond to the bad news that we receive in our lives as Christians. If you look at the end of 2 Kings chapter 18, King Hezekiah received some really bad news from the Assyrians. Where they basically told him, you can surrender or else. You can surrender or you can face the consequences. We're going to overtake your nation. We're going to overtake the capital city of Jerusalem and completely bring it to its knees. How did King Hezekiah respond to that bad news? Last week, in the first seven verses of 2 Kings chapter 19, we saw that King Hezekiah responded to that bad news with mourning. He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. He responded by spending time in God's house, the temple. He responded by having an earnest desire to listen to God's voice. As Christians, whenever we receive bad news, we need to respond in the same way. We need to respond by doing those same things. We need to realize that it's okay to mourn. It's healthy to mourn when we receive bad news. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we receive bad news, we need to spend time in God's house. We need to spend time with God's people. Whenever we receive bad news, we need to spend time listening to God's voice, allowing the good news in His Word to counteract the bad news in our lives. But see, here's the thing about bad news. Bad news is not just one and done. I got bad news last week. I responded to it in a way that honored God, and now I'm never going to hear bad news again. I'm never going to have to deal with it ever again. Everything's going to go my way from this point forward. We know by experience that that's not how it works. That's not how bad news works. That sometimes we receive a message of bad news. And then we get more bad news. And then we get more bad news. And then we get more bad news. Sometimes it can seem like bad news starts to pile on top of itself. Sometimes it can feel like when we receive message after message of things that were the opposite of what we were hoping for, the opposite of what we were expecting, sometimes it can weigh really heavily on our shoulders. It causes a lot of pain and difficulty, stress, worry, and anxiety in our lives. And I think that's what we see with Hezekiah. Whenever we continue reading in 2 Kings chapter 19, this bad news just continues to pile up on his shoulders. In verse 8, the Bible says, the Rabshakeh, which was basically the, the Assyrian chief of staff, He was the one who brought the bad news originally in 2 Kings chapter 18, along with two other officials and a portion of the Assyrian army. Now he's returning from Jerusalem. He's going back to the king of Assyria. Notice he found the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, fighting against Libna, for he heard that the king had left Lachish. Those are two cities in Judah. Now the king heard concerning Tirakah, king of Cush, behold, he is set out to fight against you. As we read through this narrative, as we read through this story, the next thing that we should expect to happen is for Jerusalem to be invaded and destroyed. Judah's received the threat in chapter 18. 
We found in chapter 18 that the king of Assyria is conquering city after city. The next thing that we should expect to happen as readers is for the king of Assyria along with his army to step into Jerusalem, to overtake that city, to overthrow Hezekiah, and to destroy it. But that's not what happens. When you read in 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 9 as we did just a minute ago, the king of Assyria heard that the king of Cush had invaded his homeland. So now he has to go put out that fire. The king of Assyria, the army, has to go back home and deal with that. Well, maybe that's some good news for Judah. If they're going to have to go deal with that invasion from Cush, maybe they'll forget about Hezekiah. Maybe they'll forget about Judah. Maybe they'll forget about what they were planning to do to Jerusalem. They'll become so preoccupied with this invasion in their homeland, putting out that fire that they won't return back to the nation of Judah. Well, not so fast. We might think we're getting some good news here, but at the end of verse 9, he, the king of Assyria, sent messengers again to Hezekiah saying... So he sent messengers the first time in 2 Kings chapter 18, three officials and a good portion of his army. Now he sends messengers again to Hezekiah with a letter. And here's what that letter says. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction, and you shall be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed? Gozon, Haran, Respa, the people of Eden who are in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, and the king of Hena, and the king of Iva? Judah thinks that they're seeing some good news. They're having to go back and, and put this fire out in their homeland to take care of the invasion from the king of Cush. Well, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, wants Hezekiah to know that he hasn't forgotten about him. He hasn't forgotten what he's planning to do to Judah. He hasn't forgotten about what he's planning to do to Jerusalem. He mentions nine nations. Nine nations that the Assyrians had completely destroyed. He wants Hezekiah to know, you're going to be next. You're going to be the next nation that we destroy after we take care of this. Don't let your God deceive you. Don't be deceived by thinking that your God is going to rescue you from us, that He's going to rescue the city of Jerusalem. Look at these other nations we destroyed. Did their gods rescue them? Your God's not going to be able to rescue you either. In a moment where they thought, this might be good for us, Judah receives more bad news. The bad news starts to pile up from chapter 18. And now Judah is a sitting duck. Judah is sitting and waiting, not knowing when Assyria is going to come back. Well, we've been there, haven't we? Whether we're talking about the death of a loved one, somebody getting sick, somebody getting hurt, somebody walking away from the Lord, not getting the job you expected, the grade you expected, losing a friend. We all know what it's like not just to receive bad news, 
But for that bad news to pile up, for that bad news to begin to weigh on our shoulders, to weigh us down, we all know what it's like to receive message after message of bad news, the exact opposite of what we were hoping for. We know how much that hurts. How much difficulty and hardship and pain it can cause in our lives. So what should we do? What should we do with bad news? How should we respond particularly whenever the bad news starts to pile up and it's weighing down on top of our shoulders? Let's continue to notice how Hezekiah responded to bad news. The the bad news that he received from the Assyrians. How he responded when the bad news piled up. Whenever we receive bad news, number one, we need to spend time in God's house. We made that point last week. In 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 1, as soon as Hezekiah heard it, he mourned, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. But notice how that's emphasized again in verse 14. Do you think this is something the text wants us to get? Do you think this this is something the text wants us to walk away with? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. He read it, and what did he do? Where did he turn? Where did he go? Once again, Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. He went to the temple. He went up to Mount Moriah, the place where God's presence dwelt during the Old Testament time. When Hezekiah receives bad news, and that bad news starts to pile up on top of his shoulders, he goes to the place where he can get as close to God as possible. Just like bad news isn't one and done in Hezekiah's life, him going to the house of the Lord wasn't one and done. This is how he responded to his bad news. This was the place he wanted to be when that bad news was weighing on his life and causing stress in his life. He went up to the house of the Lord. Whenever we receive bad news, we need to spend time in God's house. Like we mentioned last week from 1 Timothy 3 verses 14 and 15, God's house today is not the same thing that it was back then. God's house today is not a structure. God's house today is not made out of brick or mortar or stone. God's house in 1 Timothy 3 is God's church. And His church is His house. His house are those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus. Those who have been saved by the grace, mercy, love, and kindness of our Lord. So what do we mean when we say that today? We need to spend time in God's house. What we're saying is that when we receive bad news, we need to spend time in the church. We need to spend time with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our fellow Christians who have also been saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. The more bad news that we receive, the greater need that we have to be in God's house. Just like bad news is not one and done, us responding to our bad news by going to God's house should not be one and done. This is how we should constantly and consistently respond to the bad news in our lives. The more bad news we receive, the greater need we have to be with God's people. Now that we've made that point twice in two weeks, I want to acknowledge that that's not always easy. In fact, this, what we're talking about here, can be very difficult. 
Whenever we receive news that shatters our hearts, whenever we receive news that absolutely breaks our lives, it can sometimes be very difficult to want to be in God's house. It can sometimes be very hard to have that desire to want to be among God's people. I came across a poem this past week by Jacob Waldron entitled, Church is Hard. I want us to read it together. And as we read this poem together, I want you to think about how difficult it can be that when we receive bad news, whether the bad news come from our own choices and decisions, or whether it's something that we can't control, something that happens to us, think about how difficult it can be to want to be in God's house when we receive bad news. He writes, the church is hard for the person walking through the doors afraid of judgment. Church is hard for the preacher's family under the microscope of an entire body. Church is hard for the prodigal soul returning home broken and battered by the world. Church is hard for the girl who looks like she has it all together, but doesn't. Church is hard for the couple who fought the entire ride to service. Church is hard for the single mom surrounded by couples holding hands in seemingly perfect families. Church is hard for the widow and widower with no invitation to lunch after service. Church is hard for the deacon with an estranged child. Church is hard for the person singing worship songs overwhelmed by the weight of the lyrics. Church is hard for the man insecure in his role as a leader. Church is hard for the wife who longs to be led by a righteous man. Church is hard for the nursery volunteer who desperately longs for a baby to love. Church is hard for the single woman and single man praying God brings them a mate. Church is hard for the teenage girl wearing a scarlet letter ashamed of her mistakes. Church is hard for the sinners. Church is hard for me. It's hard because on the outside it looks all shiny and perfect, Sunday best in behavior and dress. However, underneath those layers you find a body of imperfect people, carnal souls, selfish motives. But here's the beauty of the church. Church isn't a building mentality or expectation. Church is a body. Church is a group of sinners saved by grace, living in fellowship as saints. Church is a body of believers bound as brothers and sisters by an eternal love. Church is a holy ground where sinners stand as equals before the throne of grace. Church is a refuge for broken hearts and a training ground for mighty warriors. Church is a converging of confrontation and invitation where sin is confronted and hearts are invited to seek restoration. Church is a lesson in faith and trust. Church is a bearer of burdens and a giver of hope. Church is a family. A family coming together, setting aside differences, forgetting past mistakes, rejoicing in the smallest of victories. Church, the body and the circle of sinners turned saints is where He resides. And if we ask, He's faithful to come. So even on the hard days at church, the days when I fought at odds with a friend, when I fought with my husband or wife because we're late once again, when I've walked in bearing burdens heavier than my heart can handle, yet masking the pain with a smile on my face, when I've worn a scarlet letter under the microscope, when I've longed for a baby to hold or fought tears as the lyrics were sung, when I've walked in afraid and broken after walking away, I'll remember he has never failed to meet me there. Whenever we receive news that shatters our lives, whenever we receive news that absolutely breaks our hearts, even though it's difficult, 
even though it might be hard, we have to remember what the church is. And we have to remember what the church does. We have to remember that when we're together in this place, He never fails to meet us here. When we receive bad news, we need to spend time in God's house. We need to spend time in His church. Time with our brothers and sisters in Christ, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when that might be the last thing that we want. And then number two, really what this entire text is, is dedicated to is that whenever we receive bad news, we need to spend time in prayer. Hezekiah walks into the house of the Lord. He has the bad news weighing on top of his shoulders that Assyria gave him in chapter 18 and then again in chapter 19. Once Hezekiah got into the temple, what did he do? Look at verse 15. Underline this if you have a pencil. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord. As all of this bad news was, was mounting in front of him, he realized his need to talk to God. His need to pray to the Lord. This is not the only time that Hezekiah prays whenever he receives bad news. In fact, if you drop down to chapter 20 and verse 1 of 2 Kings, the Bible says in those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Is that bad news? Hezekiah, you're sick. You're going to die. You're not going to recover from this. What did Hezekiah do? Verse 2, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and underlined it. Prayed to the Lord. Whenever Hezekiah received bad news in his life, and when that bad news started to pile on top of itself, he recognized his need to talk to God. Last week we saw he realized his need to listen to God. He wanted to hear what God had to say about his bad news, but he also realized that he needed to talk to God in prayer. What did Hezekiah's prayer look like? Well, in this text, it, the Bible doesn't just tell us in verse 15 that he prayed before the Lord, but it tells us exactly what he said. I think we can divide up his prayer into three different parts. That number one, he started by recognizing the Lord's greatness. By talking to God about how great He is in verse 15, He first talks about God as the God of Israel. The God of His chosen people. He's the God who dwells above the cherubim in the most holy place above the Ark of the Covenant. As Hezekiah is in the temple, he would have gotten as close to the most holy place as he could. As close to the place where God's presence dwelt during this time above the cherubim. So he recognizes the Lord's greatness as the God of Israel, but he doesn't stop there. He takes a few steps beyond that. He widens his view to talk about God, not just as the God of Israel, but the God of heaven and earth. He says, you alone, you're in a category all by yourself. You alone, God, reign over all the kingdoms of the earth. Well, how did he get in that position? You created heaven and earth. You reign over it all. You rule over it all. The question in Hezekiah's mind perhaps, does that include Assyria? God is the ruler over all the kingdoms of the earth. Does that mean that God is more powerful? That God is greater than? That He rules over Assyria? Who's offered all this bad news? 
I think it does. So he starts off this prayer by recognizing the Lord's greatness. He's the God of His people. He's the God who rules over all nations, the Creator of heaven and earth. And then he moves forward in verses 14 and 16 through 18 to describe his problem to the Lord. I think that's what's symbolized when you look at the end of verse 14. It says he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. So he received this letter from the king of the Assyrians. And I imagine as soon as he received it, he grasped it in his hand. And perhaps he held it so tight that the paper crumpled up and he held on to it tightly as he walked from the palace to the temple. When he went into the temple and started to pray, he took that letter and spread it out. He wanted God to see every angle of this situation. He wanted God to know exactly what was going on in his life. And so in verse 16, he invites him, God, look at this. See what the Assyrians are doing. Hear what the Assyrians are saying. He talks to God about the threat. He talks to God about how powerful Assyria is. You know, the king didn't lie. Assyria was powerful. They had conquered all of those nations that he mentioned in verse 12 and verse 13. But Hezekiah also recognizes there's a difference. That the gods of those nations weren't really gods. They were made out of stone and wood. They were formed by man's hands. So again, the question in Hezekiah's mind, what happens when the Assyrians come into conflict with the God who created man? See, in those other nations, man created gods. Well, if the God we're talking about here, He created man. He created the wood and stone that the idols were made out of. So what happens when Assyria comes into contact with Him? Well, 2 plus 2 equals 4, right? Hezekiah says, I recognize how great you are. And here's the problem that we're going through. I'm inviting you to see it. I'm inviting you to look at it. Here's the threat. Here's what I'm afraid of. And that leads him to ask directly for the Lord's help. Verse 19, So now, O Lord our God, save us. Deliver us. Rescue us. Please. Hezekiah recognized he was in a situation he couldn't do anything about. He had received news that he couldn't change, that he couldn't overcome, his army couldn't overcome it. And so when he recognizes the Lord's greatness and he lays out the problem before the Lord, he says, now I need you to do something about it. God, save us. His motivation is important. Of course, as the king, he wants Judah to be secure. He wants there to be peace and safety. But when he says, save us, that's not the reason that he gives. He realizes it's not about him, it's about God. He says, save us from his hand. Here's the reason. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. He says, God, I'm begging for you to save us and deliver us in this situation so that you'll be glorified. He already said in verse 15, I know who you are. I know that you're the God who alone reigns over all the kingdoms of the world. And I want you to save us so that they can know that. So that other people can recognize you for who you are. The creator of heaven and earth. The one who is God alone. Did God hear that prayer? Verse 20. Isaiah comes to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have 
heard. Did God answer the prayer? Skip down to verse 35. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Hezekiah praised this prayer. God heard. And God answered. Whenever we receive bad news, we need to spend time in prayer. Talking to God. Because so often we find ourselves in a similar position. We find ourselves in positions that we can't do anything about. We receive news that we can't change, that we can't overcome, that we can't conquer on our own. But guess what? God can. God can do something about it. So take the time to talk to Him. Talk to Him. Pray to Him about the bad news that you've received. We know that's what we should do. I know when I receive bad news, I need to spend time in prayer, but it's not always what we choose to do. And maybe a reason for that is because we just don't know what to say. We don't know what that prayer should look like. What if we used Hezekiah's prayer as a guide? How should we pray? What should our prayers look like whenever we receive bad news? Well, take those three ideas and apply it here. Start by recognizing the Lord's greatness. How awesome He actually is. He is your God. As a Christian, you have a relationship with Him. He's the God of His people, the church. He's the one who alone reigns over all the kingdoms of the world. He's the one who created the heavens above and the earth beneath. As you start out your prayer, talk to God about how great He is. How awesome and great He actually is. We sing about it. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art. Once you recognize the Lord's greatness, then explain your problem. Does God already know the problem you're going through? He does. But He wants you to talk to Him about it. Spread it out before Him. Invite Him to see what's going on and to hear what's being said. Talk to Him about what you're scared of. Talk to Him about what the threat is. Explain thoroughly your problem to the Lord. And then like we said, 2 plus 2 equals 4 I have a God who is infinitely great on my side. A God who is awesome. A God who is glorious. God, I'm telling you about this problem. And so now here's my plea. Save us, O Lord our God, from His hand. When we find ourselves in situations that we can't do anything about, we need to ask directly for the Lord's help. I don't know about you, but sometimes I skip those first two steps and go right into the third one. I think the order is important. Talk about how great God is. Explain your problem to the Lord. And then ask directly for His help. What's the motivation for that? Well, I want my family to be better. I want my family to be stronger. I want to have peace. Notice the emphasis here is not on us, but it's on Him. God, save us. Save me from this situation. Because I want You to be glorified. I want you to be raised up as holy. I want people to come to know you through this situation. I think when we pray that kind of prayer, God will hear. God will listen. And He will respond in the way that He sees fit in His ultimate wisdom. What do we do with bad news? 
How do we respond, especially when that bad news starts to stack up against us? I hope that our conversations over the last two weeks have been helpful in the life of King Hezekiah, that when we receive bad news, we need to spend time in mourning in God's house. We need to spend time listening. And we need to spend time in prayer. If you've received bad news recently, and it's something that's really weighing on your heart this morning, can I invite you to adopt these things into your life? To put them into practice? I think these are four things that will help all of us to honor God when we receive bad news. Maybe there's others here where your life is going really well and you haven't received a lot of bad news recently. I want to ask you to adopt these things into your life as well. Because if you go ahead and adopt these things, if you go ahead and and put them in your heart and mind and let them work their way out through your actions, you're going to be prepared whenever bad news does come. And chances are it's not that far off on the horizon. We don't want our bad news to push us further away from God. We want our bad news to draw us closer to Him. And I think these are four ways that we can do that. Like we said last week, the greatest news we could ever hear is that God desires a relationship with us. Do you desire a relationship with Him? Is that something you need to form? Is that something you need to come back to this morning? We'd love to help you in any way we can as together we stand and sing.